Welcome to Rock Facts, an Over the Garden Wall rewatch podcast on the Incomparable Network. My name is Brian Hamilton, and I'm joined by Allison Truge. How are you tonight, Allison Truge? I'm a little confused because I thought that Rock Facts was the podcast that we recorded with facts about Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And for today's episode, I want to talk about a post uh, that was posted in August, on August 7th, 2015 by the Denver Post. And the title of this blog post is, Shane Ray is Dwayne The Rock Johnson's twin, and we have proof. And this is actually probably the most true rock fact there is because it literally isn't true, but it sounds like it could be. That's that's true. Uh, rock facts are false in the canon of Over the Garden Wall. And there's a new theory I've been testing. If you can't think about whether or not you want to say a rock fact, think about if you were saying it to Dwayne The Rock Johnson and how you would feel. <laughs> would you do that to Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Would you say a rock fact to Dwayne The Rock Johnson? That's my new uh, rock theory I'm thinking about. I literally would because I would go up to him and be like, hey, we went to the same high school. And he'd be like, (laughs) that's really neat. I'm sure you would. Uh, Speaking of the love you have for Dwayne The Rock Johnson, episode five of Over the Garden Wall is called Mad Love. And this is, I'm going to admit it here, my least favorite episode of Over the Garden Wall. It's because you're a fool and no one likes you. Okay, it's not a bad episode, but compared to everything else, there's nothing quite wowing about it, except for, I would argue, John Cleese's performance. I could not disagree with you more. I think this episode is a gem. It's like a super real standalone episode in this series, and I will defend it to the death. That's true. Okay, it is very standalone. I think it's the most standalone you can get for Over the Garden Wall. No, I disagree, though, because I really think that episode seven is the same way. Okay, yeah, I feel that. Uh, so we start off with the most in-media res Over the Garden Wall gets, and we're sitting at dinner with Greg, Beatrice, Wirt, Fred the Horse, and a new character, Quincy Endicott, who, hey, the first John Cleese character we get in uh, Over the Garden Wall. Absolutely incredible. And the thing that's interesting about the beginning of this episode, I just realized uh, just now on maybe the, like, 11th time I've seen it, is that in this first clip, I never, literally, every single time I've watched this episode, I've never actually paid attention to the things that Quincy Endicott says in the beginning of this scene, because automatically my brain is like, oh, it's John Cleese! That's, yeah, I never think about it either. And that's kind of what happens when you start a podcast about something, right? Is when you really, really pay attention to it in every single word. Every single sentence has something contributing to the overall story or feeling or anything like that. Uh, we get a lot of, oh, the money takes my mind off of my troubles, the soul-crushing loneliness, and wonderful little line readings from John Cleese, including one that I had never noticed before that really hints at the end of the episode very, very well. The bigger my mansion gets, the more lost I become, which it winds up showing how he gets into another mansion somehow at the end of the episode. I know, it's absolutely ridiculous. Of almost anything else in the series, this is the one I wish we could have more of an explanation for. I'd love to see how they swindle their way into Endicott's house at all. That is something I I don't know if I'm either like not up to that point in the comic yet. I haven't seen any like uh, backstory for this episode. Uh, the only backstory we get as we watch is Wirt not understanding why they're there. So he asks Beatrice, and 
We get the rundown of the plan, which is to convince Endicott that they are his nephews and then steal money from him. It is the sloppiest <laughs> exposition that happens in the series. I will give you that. It really doesn't make much sense, but the way they handle it and how silly it is really is funny. The fact that they have a horse with them. Well, and I think it contributes to the fact that, like, this whole series, you're supposed to just kind of go with it. And this is another like portion where it's like okay it doesn't matter how they got here they just got here just accept it <laughs> it's really really cute and i love that we already stole a horse no no fred is a uh, a talking horse he's his own person i want to steal <laughs> it's very very funny and i love the little moments where greg and endicott are on the same wavelength but for completely different reasons yeah absolutely like he's like you know me well nephew like <laughs> Except they've never met before today, I guess. It's just a funny chicken. (laughs) It's a funny chicken. No, no, that is one of my prize-winning peacocks. Uh, The wealth in this episode and all the ridiculous things that Endicott does to kind of make fun of it. Like, uh, oh yes, all my opulence and wealth. Let's go enjoy my opulence. And there's a giant... Uh, what is it, like a Fabergé egg with a clock built into it? Yeah, there are, like, lots of Fabergé eggs in the entire, like, house. It makes absolutely no sense. Uh, sense, two cents. We need two cents to get into the, uh, onto the ferry. Can you talk about the significance of that? Because this is something you like to bring up when we watch. Yeah, I mean, that's, there's a whole theme in this episode about death. I think death is a really prevalent note to this episode, And the two cents are what is required in Greek mythology. You need a coin to, like, as payment for the fairy to get into the afterlife. And so it's, and so Beatrice doesn't need it because she's already a part of, like, purgatory or wherever they are. Um, And Fred doesn't need one because, like, same. They're both already a part of the world. And so both Greg and Wirt need two cents to ride the fairy. Um, two separate pennies. And I think it contributes to the fact that in the next episode that we'll talk about, it's really important they don't pay the fee for the fairy, if that makes sense. No, 100%. Because, well, first of all, I love that Wirt mentions, wait, only two cents? That's it? Yeah, let's go. And they go to this extremely rich man's house to get two cents. <laughs> I think that's really funny. But you're right. The theory is that there's, because they don't pay it, they don't go into the afterlife. They don't die. Um, I really like the fact that in this episode, there's really, you're right, death is extremely important in this episode because there's a ghost and all these different things. But I feel like they don't outwardly mention death as much as they do in this episode, in no, the rest of the show. Yeah, absolutely not. And I think that it's... Uh, another thing to point out is that when we finally get to episode 9 and we're taken like to the 90s, um, there on one of the headstones, it does say Quincy Endicott. <gasps> Wait, really? Yeah. Oh my god, I love that... You, I, I love learning things on the podcast with you that you Yeah, and so I think... Like, also, uh, this is something that I learned in doing research for this episode, that peacocks are, like, they're a a common symbol for, like, life and death. I don't know how. I just think that they look like funny chickens. They are funny chickens. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. There's, in the rest of the series, there's the beast and the threat of the beast. There's no real threat of what the beast does, only that he's very, very bad, and he may turn you into a tree, which, who knows if that really means death. Uh, We really understand that death is something that doesn't affect too many of the people here in as concrete of a sense I feel the real world has about death. Well, and I think it also, another theme in this episode 
like contributing to death is thinking about time uh, as a very separate thing that happens in this episode. And I just said it was separate, but it kind of contributes to the feeling of timelessness that we've been talking about in this entire podcast. Um, Neither of us are incredibly like history buffs, (laughs) so it's not like we can point out actual like eras or anything like that. But it's clear that every character in this show is from a different time period. Yes, yes. And Uh, so one of the things that I think exemplifies this in the most um, obvious manner is the fact that Quincy Endicott's mansion is Georgian and... (laughs) um, Oh, what's her name? Uh, It was uh, Marguerite Marguerite. Gray. And Marguerite Gray's mansion is French Rococo. And I looked this up for this podcast because I'm sick of, like, not knowing anything about eras. But (laughs) those two eras are literally 100 years apart. It's incredible. Yeah, and so... Uh, I, I think in a lot of ways you can, or uh, you can, I say, but what I mean is the first time I watched this series, I let it slide because you're so used to seeing anachronisms like that in cartoons and kind of like lazy writing in that way where it's like, oh, you know, it's just old. That's the era. <laughs> it's old timey. Um, but after finishing the series, it's very clear that it was an intentional choice um, in that, in seeing that the unknown is a timeless place to be. Everything is intentional. You're right. They're not just throwing in old things. Every episode is distinct and separate. What do you say we talk about, because at this point, uh, Beatrice and Wirt split off from the rest of them. So what do you say we talk about the two storylines that wind up intersecting uh, separately? Yeah, for sure. We start off with Wirt and Beatrice looking around the parlor for some change, and they wind up getting trapped in the armoire because they think Endicott's coming back. But he's not. It's just a funny chicken that's pecking at the window. And this is the first moment where we have... uh, This is the first time we see that Beatrice was at one point a human. And I think... I love the detail of how it's revealed that Greg is... Or that Wirt says... Um, wait, did I know that? Was I supposed to know that? Because (laughs) it is kind of obvious when you look back on it that, like, there's so many animals in the unknown, but the only animals that talk are Fred and Beatrice. Which leads me to believe... Is Fred a human at one point? (laughs) That wasn't addressed in the comics, so I don't know. Who knows? Uh, But yeah, it's a nice moment of, wait, am I supposed to know that? Because, again, the audience doesn't know that. And it's weird that Over the Garden Wall, in this case, has an audience analog. This whole episode in Wirt, who is confused at various parts, so things need to be explained to him. I think that we are learning about the world through Wirt. And also Greg, but... More so Wirt, because Greg is, like, a lot more receptive and, like, goes with the flow a lot more. He's not questioning things the way that Wirt is. Exactly. So they're stuck in the armoire, and they have some deep conversations about, wait, so you were once human? And I love that they talk about their deep, dark secrets together, in that (laughs) the deep, dark secret for Beatrice is she threw a rock at a bluebird, and her and her whole family were turned into bluebirds, and now she'll do anything to not be a bluebird and bring her fan. What's the line I have written down? Uh, I would do anything to change them back. To right? change them back, yeah. I would do anything to become a uh, human again, and I guess that includes leading Wirt and Greg to their doom. Betrayal. <laughs> and Wirt equates his deep dark secret, liking a girl, to that. <laughs> and playing clarinet and whispering poetry to your, to, to himself. And those and are as, not weird, as but they're person- just character traits. As a person who does slam poetry, it tickles me in a very unique way that she goes, that stuff's not weird. Well, 
the poetry thing is kind of weird. Well, you don't whisper them to yourself, do you? I mean, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, you kind of have to, but like, I, I see you bellow them into the mic, and that's nowhere near as weird. <laughs> that was I, a poem. That great poem. Uh, I appreciate that. It's at this point where they see. Uh, they feel a draft coming out of the back of the armoire and realize, oh, this is an interesting uh, interesting little secret passage. And they wind up in another room that Wirt notices is French Rococo and not Georgian. I absolutely love the detail of him being like, well, it doesn't really match uh, Endicott's Georgian sensibilities. And Beatrice is like, what? And he's kind of like, well, am I, am I not supposed to know that? And <laughs> if you look in his room uh, in episode nine, there is actually a book on his desk that says Rococo Design. How are you noticing all that? Oh my God, I love this so much. That's yeah. amazing. So nothing this in this one of Ward's hobbies. Nothing in this series is unintentional. Uh, and it's at this point that Wirt has a realization and we don't know what it is. He goes, oh, wait a minute. As if thinking about the different styles of the rooms was something that uh, that led him to the realization that there's something weird going on. But at this point, we've also seen the storyline where Greg, Endicott, and Fred are going to look for the ghost. And it starts off with, is that the painting? No. Is that the painting? No. Is that the painting? No. It's the most Greg that Greg gets in this episode. And then basically Quincy uh, confides in Greg that he's afraid that there is no ghost and he's actually just gone mad. And then he like mutters under his breath, maybe maybe the doctors were right. Back to the parlor! (laughs) Uh, We saw a talk by Patrick McHale a few nights ago. He is, uh, he came here to Boston to give a talk to a bunch of animators and we saw him and met him that was really cool and i won the raffle trudes won a raffle and behind me now is a signed over the garden wall poster by patrick McHale, which is amazing but uh the one thing that stood out to me about his experience making the show was that when he got john cleese into the recording booth he added things to the script that weren't really there initially uh, he mentioned specifically his stuttering and mannerisms, like, oh, uh, m- 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 madness, and all the things he brought to the role in that sense. All of that comes out in that one line where he goes, oh, yeah, well, maybe if there's no ghost, well, I'm uh, hmm, mad. Maybe the doctors are right. Okay, let's go. And it was so great. The stuttering really brings that character to life and brings a level of, like, silly humor to it that is just so wonderful. And then we get some more ridiculous things with Fred saying, what? Let's not go with Apollo. Why would we want to go with Apollo? There's nobody that's trying to steal all your money. And then Greg insists he wants to see a ghost. Uh, they, they take a stop off at the tea garden where they take a moment to enjoy their tranquility. And they just kind of sit, take a deep breath and let it out. And every time I watch this, this moment where they just kind of take a breath in the middle of this wonderful smelling, probably, tea garden, it makes me feel really relieved in a way that I'm sure they also needed as the characters. But but then next we are getting closer and closer and there's like a couple of like things knocked over and Fred goes, it looks like there was a struggle, a violent struggle. So this is my least favorite part of the episode. There's a whole bunch of stuff and name calling and things that happen for about 20 seconds before Marguerite comes in and the episode kind of runs its course. It makes no sense to me that Fred accuses Endicott of being uh, a murderer. Well, I think it does because it shows that Fred Fred is ridiculous, which he is. Fred is ridiculous, yes. And I feel like there need to be a little bit more to this episode to add a little bit more uh, drama to it. But also, it it feels out of character for 
uh, for Fred to be like, oh, we need to go now. I think it, it seems very like uh, dime not like nickel novel dime novel to me, which makes sense because like Fred is the highwayman's horse. So there's something about it that seems very fantastical and I really appreciate. Oh, wait, you're right. You did mention that last episode. The fact that he wants to steal makes yeah, more sense now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also, as much as this part annoys me, it gives the line, what are you implying, my equine friend? Which I will never not laugh at. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, it's it's Fred trying to figure out the mystery, and he's, like, so very much off base. And then we realize that, actually, Quincy Endicott and Marguerite Gray's mansions are just so huge that they are actually connected. She comes in, and they both pass out because they're both so scared of this other person. And I really like to imagine that they both had very similar experiences with this other person that they didn't know about in their house, or quote-unquote their house. And also, literally, what is love except being so afraid of the other person that you literally faint every time you see them? Uh, you, you've never fainted around me? Ah! Oh, thank you. Thank you. That really inflates my ego now. Come back up to the mic, please. You can't, you can't podcast from way back there. Oh, now, well... <laughs> Okay, well, Truge just took off her headphones and lay down, uh, which leaves me to summarize the rest of the episode. Uh, Quincy winds up revealing that their tea gardens overlapped and that they were business competitors overall. And Truge is still committing to this bit. She's still lying down very far away from the microphone. <laughs> Are you ready to continue our uh, Over the Garden Wall podcast? Oh my god! Ah! No, don't faint again. She just fainted God. <clears throat> Wirt's realization didn't really make much sense to me the first time I saw this because how could this possibly have happened? But also it makes sense given he realized the architecture was different and no one else did. Also, let, let's just, for a second, remember the universe that we're in. Of course it happened. Okay, okay, you're right. I need to suspend my disbelief. And then they fall in love with each other, which I think is so sweet and funny. And that's exactly how we fell in love. We started building our mansions, and they became connected, and then I thought you were a ghost, and ah! Okay, well, she's gone again. I'm going to summarize this last part. They fall in love, and I, the line that they wrote for these two characters where they both admit, so the beautiful apparition, oh, so that handsome man was really my business competitor? And they're both doing tea things separately and then together. Uh, by the end of the episode, it looks like they merged into uh, Endicott Tea, into one company, because uh, Fred says, don't forget to buy Endicott Tea. Uh, but at, in the end of the episode, they're working together. Uh, Fred is an official tea horse now, which I think is really funny. True is still committing to the bit. Again, please come back and finish this podcast with me. me. No, I want you to be here. I just... <laughs> That was out of necessity. <laughs> oh, my God. The <clears throat> important part is they each, Marguerite Gray and Endicott, uh, they both give Greg two cents. To build your fortune, which is not how that works. And then as they're walking away, uh, Wirt reminds Greg, like, hey, we got those two cents. Great. Good going. And then Greg throws them into the fountain and says, they got me all wrong. I got no sense. No sense at all. Why did it take me 11 viewings, 11, 15, 20, however many times we've seen this, to get the wordplay between sense and sense? Like, uh, Endicott says to Greg, you're a good boy with good sense. S-E-N-S-E. -S -E. 
Uh, and so they each give him a penny. So he has two cents, C-E-N-T-S. And then he throws them away because he's got no sense. And I think it's brilliant. I That didn't occur to me until I just watched it again. <laughs> I would like it to go on record that I knew what was happening the first time I saw this. I'm really glad. Yay. <laughs> Which is why I'm glad I have you on the podcast. In addition to you being the person that I know that loves this the most and has the most interesting things to say about it. And also, even though the characters don't know this, I think it's a really cool detail that this episode ends on the fact that the fountain is actually like very, very deep and there are fish living in it and it expands a lot like larger than the fountain itself up above and it like falls upon this like gr- this pile of coins. I want this fish's story. Why is he like an ocean-bound smaug trying to amass some sort of underwater fortune? I just think it's just it's to tell you that like there's a lot more to this world that we don't understand. Um, because clearly the fountain is not what we think, and also it um it eliminates the very. Uh, convenient thing that they could probably think about doing, which is just reach in the fountain and get those two cents back. Okay, yeah, that's true. They do not do that. And although if they reach deep enough, I guess maybe they could come upon a whole pile of coins. But they don't do that. I also think, so this is another thing that came up in the Patrick McHale uh, Q&A, which was so enlightening. Um, he So there was a Q&A section in, at the end of the night and there was a little kid that went up to the mic. It was, like, super, super cute. Um, <laughs> he goes up to the mic and he goes, does it have to be a serious question? And Patrick goes, absolutely not. And the kid is like, what's your favorite Adventure Time episode? And Patrick was kind of like, well, the tower. And then he starts talking more and he's like, I really love the episodes that are self-contained. And I think that nothing speaks truer to that sensibility than this series. Because mm-hmm. this series has, you know, in its 10-episode run, I would say there are probably four or five episodes that are super standalone that you could watch without having any other context to the rest of the series. And that's half of the series. Exactly. There's so many things here that are so enjoyable on their own. And even though we care about these characters, we don't need to to understand what's going on in this particular episode. There's just a fun little mystery for them to solve inside this giant mansion. Absolutely. And like, yeah, this is just a super awesome self-contained episode that we don't need any other context for. Uh, Onward to episode six next time? I guess so. Well, we should probably finish the series uh, in a few weeks. Halloween's only two weeks away. I can't believe it. Yay! Hey, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.